Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load in recovery, be it with addictive cravings, depression and anxiety, or improving sleep. Founded and run by a father-son team, both in recovery, this issue is personal for them. Learn more at exactnature.com, and as a listener of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 to receive a 20% discount at purchase. Again, TSD20 at exactnature.com. I don't feel like you can heal in the same environment that made you sick. So it's like, even if you can't physically relocate, which it sounds like all of us have in in some way, you still have to change the environment in some way. Happy Sober Day, friends. Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic seven years from my last drink. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who lived them. Check us out at thesobrietydiaries.com for all things podcast related. And for all our video interviews, head over to youtube.com slash Nate Kelly. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Recovery is possible. So we are reintroducing our recovery roundtable approach to uh, this episode. It's our first recovery roundtable of season three. And I invited two of my favorite guests back to chat about this idea that I had about grieving the or saying goodbye to or grieving our former selves and that lifestyle and all of the things that came along with it. Uh, and for me personally, it it was it was definitely a grieving process. You know, I, I talked to a few of my guests about grieving different things in recovery, the loss of a loved one or um, you know, a job or different things as life comes at us, um, but dealing with them in recovery and using the tools that we learn in recovery. Um, but for me, there was definitely a grieving of alcohol in general. You know, this was my best friend for two decades and and the thing or the person that I went to when I was sad or happy or all of these different emotions and life events, alcohol was always there. Alcohol was always involved. So I felt like it was grieving the death of a of a best friend. And that was something that I wasn't really prepared to deal with or expected to happen. Uh, I thought sobriety was, you know, you quit drinking and you move on with your life. And I started to learn quickly that it was all of these different emotions and about how to live a better life. So the grieving started uh, for me fairly quickly on, you know, in detox, it was this immense sadness and this thought of, what kind of person will I be? You know, alcohol and like this party personality was also a big part of who I was and how my friends like identified me. Like Nate is, you know, the party person. He's the one that always shows up with the booze. He's, you know, was a big part of my personality. So it was learning how to navigate life without that as well. So 
I guess let's start with kind of opening up the floor. Andy, did did you have a similar sense of of grief or this, um, you know, transition to to really a new version of yourself? Yeah, I. So listening to your um, experience with it makes me think that possibly everyone's period of time when they grieve, if they grieve during this process, is different depending on the circumstances of of how they got sober. So like for you going into an actual detox center, um, you know, the circumstances surrounding when you got sober may have brought the grieving period on then for you specifically. But for me, because of how I got sober, um, you know, I, I only planned on being sober for a short period of time. Right. So for me, it was like, there was always that, well, eventually I will get back to it. Mm, right? Right. But what happened was as time went on and I'd started doing the work and I started, you know, feeling all the great feeling, I was like kind of riding this high. So for me, it was actually different. I was stoked at the beginning because yeah. I was feeling so good. And every day since then for the last five years has been a conscious decision not to drink. Right. So for me, the grievings didn't so much happen more at the beginning. For me, I think that even here now, five years later, it comes in waves. It comes in very odd times. Like for example, I was just last night watching like a Netflix reality show. Right. And like, I mean, you know how it is on, in entertainment and media. It's like, everybody's always drinking, just right? Bombarded it's like, with it. Yeah. And it, and it was like, a, it was a, a dating reality show. So it's like, they're all going on dates. They're all having drinks and I'm currently single. And so I'm putting yeah. myself in that mindset of like, Oh, like I'm going to have to date. And like, it's going to be so hard to find someone that's like on the same wavelength. And like, you know, what's, you know, just, just kind of going through and playing through all those mental scenarios when I'm uh, like, when it's exposed to me in different ways, whether it's through the media or just being out and seeing other people drinking, it's like, I don't, I just kind of, it comes in waves is like my best answer. Yeah. Like I'll be totally fine. And then it'll be exposed to me or brought up in, in some context. And I'll be like, Oh damn, like I am different. Like my life is different. Like my, yeah. my, re my reality is different than those people. If that makes sense. Yeah. You and I have sort of talked about this offline as well, but both being single and like mm -hmm. re acclimating ourselves to like dating life. And I think bars and mm -hmm. grabbing a drink and, you know, all of these things that we've normalized as part of a date mm -hmm. or, you know, getting to know someone is tough. And, yeah. you know, it's not like a prerequisite, I guess, for me to find a partner who is like completely sober. They have to, of course, respect sobriety and respect my recovery and, you know, not be at the bars every night. But I'm not against dating someone who is not stone sober. So it's also something to consider like what other things, you know, can we be compatible with? But just that that dating thing is another another thing. <laughs> yeah, it's another other subject. Another yeah, episode. Exactly. Right. Mike, what about you? I know there was uh, more of a long term recovery, I guess, process for you being in the sober living house. So what are your thoughts on on the grieving topic? Well, I think it was a longer term recovery process in general, too. I mean, I was trying to think back to the different phases of different times that I got sober. Um, you know, to be honest, the last time <clears throat> I got sober back in 2017, this this new sobriety, uh, it wasn't I don't think I grieved a whole lot because my life was a complete 
an utter disaster when I came back. Like I had literally almost nothing left, like a little duffel bag with some clothes. And I mean, I had burned all the bridges and I was uh, pretty willing to do whatever it took. Now, I think when I was younger, all these things applied to me where my identity was wrapped up in the drinking. And I was the guy at the parties with the booze and the drugs and where it was like fun, but fun with problems at that point. And it hadn't, I hadn't completely burned everything to the ground. Uh, And it's hard, you know, friends that I had, even family members that I had, it's like, what's this relationship going to look like minus uh, the, the drinking, like, yeah. how are we going to go golfing without a, a case of beer? And are right. you still going to, you know, whatever, all these things that you used to do. Um, but I think the last time maybe grieving or romanticizing came into the picture later. So I would have time and I'd be in Venice, California. Um, and I'd be driving down the road and I would see a motel that I used to stay at. And I had this thing where, man, wasn't life easier when you just didn't have a job and shot, shot yeah. dope all day. And, and that was your only concern, you know, and it's like, whoa, you know, like it wasn't, <laughs> it was definitely not bring, easy. Bring it back. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but there's this thing where it's just like, I'll look at these places and the memories will come back. And I was like, ah, oh, kind of like, those were the days. And I'm like, that lasts for about two seconds. Right. right. I've had those thoughts though, where it's like, damn, all of these. And I texted Andy yesterday, adulting blows. Like sometimes where it's like, I wish that I didn't have all these responsibilities. And like, I've had those thoughts before too. Like, man, wouldn't it be nice just to like, not give a fuck, turn my phone off, stop interacting with people, not going to work, getting, you know, a case of wine. And then it's like, okay let's play that tape forward right what is all the shit that comes along with that sure as well yeah 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 it's 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 pretty crazy the pull that it still has and it doesn't come up for me a lot um and i would say especially now the holidays thanksgiving and christmas and uh, yeah. driving by a bar with some cool lights on the outside and it's <laughs> kind of dim on the inside it's probably cozy and warm yeah. and everyone and you just imagine Speak everyone in my language <laughs> i know i yes. can paint a good picture uh, <laughs> you know and, and everyone's just having the time of their lives but you know it's not true and and, and that's what it, it might look good on the outside still but um i've just my own experience and your your guys's experience and the experience of people that i work with just the utter uh sadness and devastation that like alcohol alcoholism brings is just that's the reality of it for for a lot of people not for everybody but for a lot have you guys been able to maintain relationships the important ones you know with with people that uh perhaps maybe you identified only as like a party friend or like your only common interest was drugs or alcohol have you been able to if you wanted to maintain those relationships um i definitely can't think of a single person that's still in my life that i used to i mean when I think of me at my worst, 100% not. Like, there's no way because those people are still doing the things right. that I right. was doing. Um, also, there's like a literal spatial difference. Like, I moved, I had to remove myself. Like, That's I moved important. Across, Sometimes across you have the to. Country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, completely, you know, uprooted my life and changed. Um, 
And so what's interesting is like my experience when I first got sober and then started talking about my sobriety was the few people that were still around during that time, uh, got very triggered. So like people that I actually at that time would have been okay with keeping them in my life. Right. Because they weren't directly like affecting me in any negative way. They got really, really triggered and actually removed me from their life. So like I was the problem. Um, and, (laughs) and so they kind of like exited on their own. I didn't have to really do anything for it. And of course, looking back now, it's like, those relationships and those friendships were not based on anything real. Right. Right. In my opinion, it was years of trauma bonding and we were just trying to hold something together because of history, because it had been so many years, but it doesn't mean that it was actually like built on anything real, you know? So, um, I was a little upset at the beginning just because I felt like I'm doing this thing. That's so great for me. Like I, you know, I, I'm again, I was riding a high at the beginning. So it was like, I feel great. I, I want to be good to people. I want people to be good to me. So then to be treated that way felt, I mean, it definitely hurt, you know, but as I've had time to process it, you know, this last five years, I'm like, oh my gosh, like what friendship would we even have? Like yes. if, we, if they had stuck around, right? Like I'm so on a different wavelength now. And, um, thankfully you know, for the most part, I'm trying to think everyone that I'm really close to now, I don't really know that they ever even knew me when I was, when I used to drink. So it's nice because there's nothing for them to compare. I love that they don't have that to compare, right? They only have the, the me now where I've been able to like be of conscious mind and like treat people well. Whereas before, like I would have, I mean, I would have treated people like garbage. So I'm glad they don't know me. Exactly. Yeah. That was like almost, I look back and feel like it was almost like a character or like a different version of myself. It was this person or thing that I was portraying fueled by drugs and alcohol that was like this version of myself that I am not anymore, thankfully. Mm -hmm. And yeah, to your point, it's like, would we even have would, I, would we even want to be in the same room with one another? Right. And in yeah. a lot of cases, the answer is no. So, um, you know, with the exception of immediate family and, you know, removed themselves in one way or the other over the years, which I'm okay yeah. with. I will say there are a couple people who were involved in my life again at my worst, but they weren't people who were actively in addiction with me. They were like, almost like, the bystanders that were like, that loved me and cared about me so much and wanted me to get my shit together. And so I'm so thankful that they've forgiven me because I put them through a lot, like, especially during that time. And to know that we're still friends and we're, we know some of us are now parents and we can check in on each other. And we're just so far past that. Like, for me, it just means so much to me because I know what I've done. Like, I know the horrible (laughs) person that I was in my past. So for them to never shame me or make me feel bad about that. And if anything, like celebrate where I am now, it's been really cool to like have those people still in my life because they have seen the journey. And so they, they can, they know, like they know what I've been through and they know what happened. And so for them to see me now, just like, feels really good. Oh, you know, almost like, like, I'm glad I can like almost make them proud maybe in some way or like, or like they can just know that yeah, she did finally get her shit together after they yeah. wanted me to for so long. You know? And it kind of strengthens that relationship even more so, right? Right. I yeah. love that. 
One of the biggest hurdles in starting a podcast can be the overwhelming thought of all of the technology. Let me tell you, don't let it stop you especially in the beautiful online recovery space, we could really save lives. So if you have a message that you want to share and a story that you want to tell, the Podcast Host Academy can help you get there. Inside the Podcast Host Academy, you'll find courses on everything from equipment, software and editing, to presentation skills and vocal warm-ups. Click the link in today's show notes for an additional 15% off your subscription to the Podcast Host Academy and alitu.com. That is alitu, A-L-I-T-U.com. That was one of the draws of that program is having that community afterwards. You're like, you knew that you were going to have some some running buddies uh, after, after that, you know. So, that support is- system, I think, is... Crucial. It's crucial. It's crucial, you know, because I can disappear pretty quick. If I went to uh, a 30 day program, like, all right, did my thing. You know, you might text or call some some people for like a, a month after that. But it's like you're off doing your own thing. And, right. you know, so I think being, you know, with those people for a year, you know, forms a, a better bond than if you were with them for 28 days or whatever it is. Absolutely. Andy, I'm curious, did you move as part of like transitioning, getting away from like the old past part of your recovery or was it something else that prompted you to move? So I actually, um, it's interesting because my sobriety journey has, yeah, sounds like mine has has been too, right? So I've gone through, I've gone through periods of time, right? Where I tried to get my shit together and then I felt good. And then I tried to moderate and then I'd get right back basically to where I was. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I, I mean, in so to speak, yes, but it was, it was years before I actually, it was probably five to six years before I even got sober this last time. So what happened though was, yeah, it was mostly like, I could see that my life where I was living in North Carolina at the time, I could see that my life there, what was before me was all that it could be, right? I was a server. I was a bartender. Um, I was hanging around the same people. I just, you know, I, I had started to get my shit together because I'd gotten a DUI, I'd gone to jail, I'd done all that stuff. And I was like, I'm done living this life, right? Like I, I, I hit my, my rock bottom, so to speak, I thought, and I was like, I just couldn't see a path, uh, forward in a positive way, as long as I was living there, because I would still be around the same people and all the same bars and all the same things that got me to that problem in the first place. And so I worked my ass off for like a year to save up money to be able to move across the country and move to Utah. And I left. Um, and that, that kind of was the catalyst I would say to obviously where I am now, but it was, it was still many years of me moderating and moderating and moderating and just like that white knuckling. And I never, and I never got back to where I was prior with how bad it was with my DUI and the drugs and all, and all of that. But I definitely, I definitely still drank and drive. And I definitely, I mean, I still did stupid shit. I still, you know, didn't treat people well. Um, because then I lived in Vegas for a period of time. So that kind of like, yeah, things got really crazy. So again, when I say that roller coaster, that's what I mean. Um, but there, yeah, when I very first left North Carolina and moved West, I should just say period. Um, it definitely set me on a better trajectory, but it was still a few years before I really was like, enough is enough. Like I can't, I just can't, I'm not capable. I'm literally incapable of 
of moderation. So, Nate, hey, did you do all your uh, using drinking in Columbus? So I grew up in like small town Ohio. I went to uh, Ohio University main campus in Athens. Okay. Um, and that's really when it kicked off. So I was down in Athens for five years and then moved to Columbus when I graduated in, in 2004. So that's, that brings, that's a good question for him to ask. Cause that makes me wonder you still kind of living though, in the same area, general area, maybe yeah. not directly in the same place as at the time of that person that you were, does that ever feel do you have, do you ever drive by places and feel certain things or run into someone that maybe you haven't seen a while or anything like that? Do you ever feel those kind of weird feelings? That's a great question. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say I was definitely a isolation drinker and drink by myself. So it's not like I had a happy hour spot that I was at every night or a bar that I was blacking out on the weekends or like any place that I was a regular at. I was going to Giant Eagle and buying cases of Magnum bottles of Chardonnay and just fucking crushing them at home by myself. So uh, to answer your question, there is one grocery store, yes, mm -hmm. that I feel that way because I would literally be waiting at 5.59 a.m. Mm -hmm. for them to open the doors uh, to, to go to the liquor store inside. Um, but thankfully there aren't really many like physical triggers like in my environment. That's good. Yeah. That's great. That's the thing with like a ge geographical too. Like I was in Ohio and then I, I went to, I came out to California and then back to Ohio, then down to Florida and you start running out of spaces or places <laughs> right. where you, there's no, there's no triggers. So like, true. I'm yeah. running out of places to go. So uh, true. <laughs> so I wonder if that's like a, a symptom of, addicts or recovering guys because now i'm thinking about i'm like i have lived all over the oh, damn place of course. and like it i'm is. just wondering if i just have spent my life running away and trying out different places you know and like trying something on and then oh my problems are still here and i yeah. still you know this is still my issue but yeah that's interesting that you say that my sponsor always says we take ourselves with us right so. oh yeah 100 <laughs> percent. you pack yeah. that bag up and you're inside of and it the, so. yeah totally Andy, you brought up something good that I wanted to touch on as well, because it's kind of new for you, probably mm -hmm. be helpful to discuss. And mm -hmm. I'm sure listeners um, can relate, but introducing the service industry or mm -hmm. bartending back into uh, your, your routine and mm -hmm. how that may affect you mentioned that night having a dream. So tell us about that decision and how it's been so far. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I mean, again, part of my evolution of getting sober this time, I'm now five years sober was yeah. Like leaving all the things right behind. And I was in this, got in the service industry when I was 18, got sober when I was 30. So 12 years of bartending and serving and, um, I literally never thought I would go back. Like, like I just thought that part of my life was done with, Same. you know, that's like, like where I just, am now thinking yeah, that. Yeah. Like, it's just, I've got my full-time job. I got two kids, especially once I had kids, I'm like, I would never, I mean, how, like how yeah. would I ever, you know? Um, well, I'm a single mom, you know, and, uh, times are getting a little tough and I have, you know, my best friend is uh, a manager at 
really great place. And she's been talking about it for the past year. It's, it's only been open a year. And it's funny because when she very first told me about it, like when they were opening the place and she would talk about it, I had this like little twinge in my heart of like, Oh, I miss it. Like mm-hmm. I, I know it sounds weird. I do too. <laughs> I, I loved, I do love the service industry. And it was, yeah. it was literally a part of my life for over a decade. It's how I made all my friends. Of course, it's how I got into trouble. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, there, you know, there's tons of good and bad that's all, all mixed into it. And so when she would talk about it, I'd be like, damn, like I, oh, like I just I, talk about grieving. I was like grieving. I'm like, oh man, like I'm so sad that that part of my life is over now. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll just, it, that was fun, but that was then this is now. And, um, I went to a concert with her recently. And again, we were, she was just talking about her job and I'm like, okay, be straight up honest with me. Like how much money do you guys like really make there? You know, I'm just curious. So then we started talking about, and I'm like, that kind of money would be pretty life-changing for me right now if I could swing it, you know? And, um, so we're just talking, we're just talking. And again, I, I got this like excited feeling of like, oh man, like I might actually do this. Like this, this could be really fun, you know? Yeah. Um, so long story short, I'm now, uh, officially done with all my training shifts. And I, uh, so I've been there the last two weeks and I'm only doing two nights a week, but she did ask me when they hired me, like, would you be okay with, cause she knows I'm sober obviously. And she's like, would you be okay with bartending? Like you have a lot of bar experience and that's one of the things that we would really need. And I was like, I don't see why not. Like, I don't, cause like, I'm so resolute in my, like, I'm so firm and strong in my sobriety. I don't, I don't feel like being around alcohol doesn't make me want to drink. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like yeah. I felt good about it. Um, I was like, I don't see why not. Like we could just try and see what happens, you know? And so um, they trained me on bar and I had a freaking blast. Like I just had so much fun. And the thing that people need to understand is like people order more than just alcohol at a like from sure, the bar. Like sure. I make, I make mocktails, yeah. I make sodas, I yeah. make juices, you know, it's not just always Shirley juice. temples, Shirley temples. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> I'm making all kinds of things, but I, I'm just a creative person by nature. And I, I've, I love cooking. I love just creating, especially with my hands. So like making the drinks, you know, just the whole learning the recipes, like, you know, pouring, free pouring everything. I was just having so much fun. Um, and it really put me back to this time of like when I used to love it and do it so much, you know what I mean? But, um, like you, like you mentioned that first night after I trained on the bar, I did have a gnarly relapse dream, like gnarly, like woke up and it, I was like, not good for the first part of the day because it felt so real. Like in my dream, I had gotten another DUI. I was in a treatment center. Like I had completely just destroyed my, like it went from, I'm five years sober going to sleep after having bartended to like, my life was over in this dream. Like can't see my kids, like lost my kids. Don't even know when I'll see them again. Like it was, it's even upsetting me just like thinking about it because it felt so real. Those like visceral dreams where you're like cry, literally crying. The feelings are there and legitimate as if, you know, you're, you're experiencing these things. It's scary. Well, and in the dream feeling drunk, like it was the weirdest thing. Like Mm. I remember in the dream, that feeling of being out of control of not knowing how I got home of who knows what I did. You know what I mean? Anyway, so I woke up and I was like, 
oh, is this like a really bad idea? Yeah. Like, is this just, and I, I had to work again that night and I'm like, I'm going to go in tonight and just like, see how it goes. But like, felt very not sure. Like, is this the universe talking to me, telling me like, is this a forewarning? Like, is this right. kind of what my path ended up being? You know what I mean? And, um, so I went in and then they had me running the bar that night. So there, I wasn't training on the bar. I was just doing it on my own. And again, I just had so much fun. I got to meet amazing, you know, really awesome people who sat at the bar and, and had conversations with me. And, oh, and it the regulars, me, I love it. Yeah. Well, they were, <laughs> they were just like random people that came in. They were actually just like people traveling through, but it reminded me that like, this is so much more than just like, my brain wanted to focus on the alcohol aspect of it, but it, there's so much more to being in the service industry than just like giving people drinks, right? right? It's like you're creating connections. You are hearing other people's stories and learning from them and sharing with them and um, getting to interact with other people that work there. You know what I mean? So I'm only two weeks in. I definitely am not saying I have all the answers and and I don't really know anyone else in my position who is sober and also bartending. So if anybody out there listening is in that, I'd love to like connect with anybody else that's kind of learning to work through that. But I I feel strong enough to know that if I need to step away, I can. If I need to say, hey, I need to not be on the bar. I need to just be a server. Then I'll do that. But honestly, I'm just having a lot of fun. Like I'm having so much fun uh, just creating and like being, and just being in that environment, being out of my house. I also tend to isolate. So for mm. me being a single mom, the nights I don't have my kids, it's nice to like go out and do something. And I, but at the same time I get to make money. So it's like, I'm having fun. I get to make money and then I get to go home. I'm still sober. And so that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. So I'm just going to see what happens and not be afraid to be able to, to say, no, I can't do this. If it's actually going to be like detrimental to my yeah. recovery, but Mike was making some faces. So I'm curious his opinion on everything <laughs> yeah. I just said, like what well, his thoughts are. I'm getting like a cheers vibe from, from mm. this whole thing. Uh, <laughs> it, I like, I, I think it's cool. I mean, I, I knew a couple guys that bartended um, in sobriety and I, and from what it sounds like the place, you know, is very important. Like you wouldn't just go to any bar to do this no like, it's, it's right. a restaurant i should prep i should specify too it's a restaurant bar it's like casual kind of more like fine dining so right. it's 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 not like i'm just slinging drinks it's like yeah. the craft made yeah cocktails and everything like that yeah, yeah. I, I support it I, yeah. I think i think it's i think it's cool i mean you know, listen you know you've done you've done the work and you can go where other free men can go or you know whatever the saying is i mean it's i like it you know, oh, thanks. <laughs> and I think you made a great point. It's more about like the socializing and creating that experience for the guest and that human connection is important yeah. and servers and bartenders, if they do it well, that's like, oh, the key to great service. Right. Um, and I, so, and I love that. Like yeah. I love making people it's again, for me, it's like, I just love making people happy. Like I love seeing people happy. So it's just a different way that I get to do that when I am making someone a beverage who, who just is like, this is so good. Like, thank you so much. Like I'm having such a great time. It's like, Oh, that is like, it just makes me happy. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's not like, I'm not really, you know, I'm not pouring shots. It's not like people are getting crazy, right. you know, it's like they're having their one drink or their one glass of wine. And it's like, and then they're having a great rest of their night. And it's like, you know, that's not my reality. I can't do that, but I'm so happy that you can. So I'll just be the one to serve it. To you, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? 
<clears throat> when I think while we see this a lot, I mean, that that is not the reality for a lot of people. It, it's for us, or I, you know, I speak for myself, like being in this community and the horror stories and the, you know, the, the ruined lives, we see a small part of, of it, you know, and I, like my girlfriend drinks, you know, and we'll go out and she'll have like a mimosa or two and leave half of it. What, when we're going to leave. And I'm just like, what? Oh, I, I know. I would what be cringing. Cringe. <laughs> if she'll like come home and study afterward, oh I'm just like, I, I don't, I don't get it. I would be done for the day. Like she, she is the customer you're talking about. Like, you know, she, she enjoys a good drink or two and Mm -hmm. like, but she can, she, she doesn't get my, how, what I did. She's like, I just don't understand it at all. I don't understand. Right. Her, you know, (laughs) so. Mike, what are some tips or, or some uh, motivations that we can offer the listener today as they are, creating this new life for themselves and, you know, going out into a, a different world now in, in a sober world. How, how do we make friends? How do we find our new routine and sort of uh, start this new life for ourselves? You don't. You're going to be in your apartment by yourself forever. No, I'm just kidding. Just lock the door. And uh, no, I, it's, it's tough. You know, it, it is. And, um, you know, for me working in recovery and for, for four years and being surrounded by that, you know, was easier for me to uh, surround myself with people that were doing, it was, you know, people that were doing it. Um, I have to force myself to do things. So it's like, I had to force my, cause I'm an isolator by nature. I can just, you know, camp out all day. Um, yeah. So I would recommend, again, I'm big on the physical fitness thing. I think that helped, that's helped me tremendously. Um, you know, you really have to force yourself to get out and that contrary action is, is huge, Mm. you know, and, and really put yourself out there. And for me, it was hard, you know, it's like meeting new people and, uh, the fear that I had, I think in, in early sobriety and, and not even just in early sobriety, just kind of sobriety itself where, you know, it's, uh, can be overwhelming. Um, but, uh, get a, get a gym membership for sure. Uh, explore different avenues of recovery. Um, you know, I think like, you know, obviously 12 step is good. You know, I always wanted to do a lot of things while I was drinking that I told myself I was going to do and never did. So when I got sober, that was the time to go try those different things, you know? So true. You got to try new things. Yeah. You know, you don't know, you don't know what's going to stick because you've been living a completely different life for so long. Right. That's the thing. Like we, four, five, six, seven years and into recovery, it's like, I'm still discovering things that I used to love or new hobbies that someone recommended or introduced, but you got to keep things fresh, you know, and, and exciting. And, uh, I think that's great advice. Andy, anything to add to it? What are your thoughts on that? I didn't, I was, I was so busy listening to him. I wasn't even like formulating (laughs) some good ones. Any kind of response, I think we kind of touched on this, but like, I don't feel like you can heal in the same environment that made you sick. So it's like, even if you can't physically relocate, which it sounds like all of us have in in some way, um, you still have to change the environment in some way. So whether that's 
disconnecting from people that you know are problematic for whatever reason, right? Just sending them with love and grace and just like let like letting them go out of your life. Um, if you have to change a job, you know, if someone <clears throat> is working in a job that is triggering to them or is an environment where they felt uh is not conducive to them getting better, <clears throat> excuse me, then. I would recommend like, yeah, maybe it's possible you might need to work from home or change careers or something like that. Get a different apartment. I mean, there's, there's lots of simpler things you can do if you can't actually like physically relocate that would still create a different environment for you to be able to heal and do the work without constantly being surrounded by triggers, right? Um, Even, even a simple one, of course, one of the main things I recommend, even if somebody's not sure if they're going to be sober forever, if they just want to try it on, right. They just want to see how it goes, like get the booze out of your house. Like there's no, give it to some, even if you want it back, give it to somebody to hold on to it for a while. Like you can always get it back later if you want it, but it, there's no reason to make it harder on yourself than it's already going to be by having something like that readily available or in the same cabinet you always used to go to. So it's again, little things you can do to change your actual environment around you, the people around you, the places around you uh, is definitely what I would recommend for sure. Awesome conversation. Mike, Andy, thank you guys so much for your time today. Thank you so much for listening today, friends. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. Make sure you check today's show notes for all the information discussed in the episode and how to connect with our guest. And as always, check us out at thesobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, and on Instagram at thesobrietydiariespod please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Friends, it truly helps other people to find the show. And in turn, we can help more people. Until next Wednesday, try your best not to drink and be good to yourselves. Bye, everyone.